0: So, hello and welcome to the March edition of Monthly Report, a podcast series where we discuss the main economic events of the previous month. My name is Francisco Sales and this is Connected, a podcast of Nova Economics Club.
1: The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. Is that he will rather the poor were poorer? This can be the most important
2: step we could take to prevent another recession.
0: everyone. Uh, today we are here with João Carvalho and Ana Marques from Nova Economics Club. Uh, and from now on, we will also have an invited guest from another student's club. Today, with us, we have Martin Ramos from the Portfolio Management Club uh, from, the mar- from the Macro Division. Uh, today's themes will be the blockage in the Suez Canal, the escalation in the tensions between the US and Russia, and now we will be starting discussing the AstraZeneca suspension. The AstraZeneca jab, developed in Britain in partnership with the University of Oxford, is the most widely ordered vaccine in the world, having promised 3.6 billion doses to 110 different countries. However, the AstraZeneca vaccine has suffered some setbacks. Most recently, in March, its use in several European countries was suspended when concerns emerged after health authorities detecting a potential link between the vaccine and rare but severe cases of blood clots. Still, With many questions to be answered, from the medical perspective, and political decisions to be taken, the effect on public confidence in the vaccine is already clear. In France, after the suspension of the vaccine, 61% said AstraZeneca vaccine was somewhat or very unsafe, versus 43% two weeks earlier. In Spain and Italy, that number more than doubled, with close to half of the population of both countries considering AstraZeneca vaccine unsafe. So, João, um, what does this delay mean for the vaccination plans, and do you believe that most countries can adapt to the delay, right? So the, do you think that the benefits of being cautious, um, in this case, trump the health and the economic costs associated to this situation?
2: Well, first, thank you for for asking me to join you today. but. I would like, before tackling the question itself, I would like to 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 go and to create like a common idea of what happened during those two weeks last month. So, as we all know, many EU, EU countries, Portugal included, suspended the usage of AstraZeneca vaccine for safety reasons, and they did it because of supposed blood clothing cases, uh, even though there was no direct evidence between the two. Now, what we know or if we analyze situation really deeply, we can point four topics or four critical issues as being in the root of what happened. So first we can think about patients and how countries behaved. So the first four cases appeared in Norway and as Norway decided to, to stop the usage or suspend the usage during two weeks. Mm-hmm. Basically what happened was that countries entered in a collective anxiety in the sense that they rushed not to be standing out, not to be the ones that didn't suspend the vaccine. And then we move to a more geopolitical problem here that is, on the one hand, the EU is really bureaucratic in the sense that it takes a lot of time to take a decision and involves a lot of bureaucracy elements. So that impeded the EU to establish deals for vaccines as soon as they could. So the the deals were established much later then the deals were established with the UK and the US. And on the other hand, we have this political issue regarding uh, trading with the UK after Brexit, that is, the vaccines, this, this specific vaccines produced in the UK and distributed among the EU countries. And as there is problems in the distribution and conflicts of the UK, things get worse. Just for the sense of perspective here, it was during these two weeks that the President of the Commission made uh, those remarkable um, statements regarding the possibility of the EU blocking any kind of export of any vaccines produced within the EU. And just for the, for, the, for the remark, the EU is one of the biggest producers in, of vaccines in the world, at, le- at least up to now. Now, going back to your problem or to, to your question itself, I would say that the main issue here is stock or supply, the, in the sense that we are not having a constant supply of vaccines. So, basically, what's happening, or when we stop this vaccine, using this vaccine, what we are doing is that we are st- holding a available resource, a useful resource that might be the difference between staying the pandemic and leaving the pandemic. And we are basically stocking it and and not using it. And even more than that, and again, one of the other issues with this vaccine is that this vaccine has a really bad PR situation. So people are raising suspicious because of all these now we use it now we don't now we are not using it because there is some kind of evidence that we are not sure about of problems associated with the vaccine so for the sake of of making it numerical so we understand the magnitude in France during these two weeks a survey showed that while 52% of citizens uh, trusted the Pfizer vaccine only 20% did believe or believe the, the AstraZeneca vaccine. So this is a real issue. We are stacking a, a a valuable product within our stores and we're not vaccinating people, but we are not using it either. So in a sense, what happens here is that we are just creating more delay and we are worsening the situation day by day as the least people we vaccinate, the highest the probability of having, of having higher rates of infections, higher hospitalizations, in the limit higher deaths, and I would say that in the Portuguese case, the more we take to vaccinate people, the higher is the probability of entering a fourth wave that would be catastrophic, both in public health and in the economy in general.
0: Thank you a lot for for your answer, João. Um, So Martin, also having in consideration what um, João said, and Considering the different reactions that we have been uh, seeing inside the European Union to the suspension of the vaccine, um, could this threaten the coordination and efficiency of the vaccination process in the EU?
1: Of course, that this is always a question, uh, either in terms of financial terms or in health terms, efficiency versus um, like if, uh, efficacy and coordination. And in this case, I think that there are uh, two different forces pushing uh, for um, both both sides. On the one hand, we have that if uh, countries start to, to think on themselves and start to vaccinate more people, taking advantage of these delays in agreements, then they can, of course, uh, stimulate the, the, their own demand, internal demand. But the problem is that this is a global problem, this is not a, um, a specific problem of one country. So in terms of the EU, we know that for example countries like Portugal that rely too much on tourism, they benefit from, from the economy of the whole EU to, to start growing again. And so the incentives are, are kind of um, also to coordinate. So, this is this is really a difficult a difficult question, but I think that in this case, in the specific case of the, um, the vaccination, I think that the, the the priority should be to coordinate to have all of, of the countries uh, vaccinated vaccinated as soon as possible, to then start to to reopen the economies and start to 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 do what we did before the
3: pandemics. can, can I just make a remark here? I would say that we are in general forgetting, uh, and I'm not only talking about this conversation, but uh, in general about uh, Africa and uh, countries inside of it. Uh, because I think many countries of Africa, for example, are not prepared for this competition that we are talking about uh, and they matter a lot for, uh, for us. Uh, in our case, Portugal, we have a lot of relations with a lot of countries in Africa uh, and I think that is an issue because uh, we, we need to think about that, uh, that countries too and how they are going to compete uh, in this whole process of vaccination.
0: So, um, but also don't you think that um, you or any of the guests, if they want to to answer to this, that this coordination in some some sense can also um, make competition uh, less of a good thing and competition can be a good thing if it is uh, for the sake of vaccinating people faster. Don't you think that also this coordination can in some way uh, make people uh, vaccinate less or vaccinate in a... in a slower way.
1: Yeah, I can, I can answer this. Yeah, of course, the, 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 that is also a concern. And th- that's what we have been observing. If you compare like, for example, with the US and other countries, um, Chile, also a good example of vaccination, Israel. So they are all very much faster in terms of vaccination compared to the EU. So this has been a concern. This, uh, this has been delaying the process. And I think that this is a concern. But also, if, if we if we see that countries that are like, um, in terms of competition, much, much ahead of us, they are not benefiting that much in terms of the economy. So, yeah, I think that in terms of efficiency, we are losing. But I think that for the future, if, if, if we can coordinate on this issue um, and also in terms of the economic recovery, I think we will have more benefits in the future than the benefits of not coordinating in the present. So that's my, my view, at least.
0: The Suez Canal is an artificial waterway in Egypt that accounts for 12% of global trade movements, being then a crucial maritime venue for global trading. On the 23rd of March, Ever Given, a container ship blocked the Suez Canal for almost a week. Faced with this situation, nearly 400 ships kept waiting for Ever Given's dislodgement to transit the Suez Canal, whereas others pursued the Cape of Good Hope route to diminish the backlashes of the interruption. This engine route affected the distance and also the round-trip voyage, becoming a costly and longer route. In fact, the suspension of the Suez Canal led a rise in freight rates for shipping containers from Asia to Europe, and in large costs, revealing the fragility of global supply chains and opening space for other alternatives. So, uh, Martin, do you believe that uh, this event in the, in the Suez Canal, just in the middle of a pandemic uh, that also restricted the transportation and trade, is a sign that uh, global supply chains are too risky their connectedness, uh, and is, in your perspective, turning inwards the response for governments or relying on others is not too big of a cost uh, given the efficiency gains that global trade has brought to the world?
1: So. Of course, that it's not the first time since the pandemics that it, this question is raised in terms of uh, how globalized we are, how should we approach this, this subject. But first of all, let me just start by, by mentioning one thing, that this ship, they Ever Given, is a perfect example of globalization itself, because it is a Japanese-owned uh, boat, it's registered in Panama, it's operated under a Taiwanese charter and it transports cargo from China to to the Netherlands. So three continents represented in only one boat. So this is the perfect example of uh, globalization. But then I think the the, the most important question that we need to think is, is it a one-time event or is it something that may happen in the the future again for us to think about how dangerous is is, uh, the the globalization right now? And for that, I think um, we should go back to the the fundamentals of the economics and all these kind of things. if we look to the data what we see is that um, over the last last years what, what we see is that the number of vessels so the number of boats has, has kept constant more or less but the number of containers has increased exponentially and this implies that the number the weight and the number of containers that are in each chip has been in increasing over time and this really imposes um, uh, very dangerous consequences to the to the globalized world and this is may not at least the probability is that this is not a one-time event, this may occur in the future. And so then we need to understand why and the the, the explanation is, is really easy. This kind of um, companies operate with really low margins. So they need to, to go, uh, to, they need to look to the economies of scale. So they need to re- try to reduce costs to increase the number of uh, of containers in each ship. And this will continue in the future. So. Um, Going to your question, more specifically, what I believe is that I don't believe that we go back to the past. I think this the globalization is here to, say, to stay. What I do believe is that in terms of key products like food, medical supplies, the, the everyday life um, products, I think this will be more regionalized. So there, I, I think that, for example, in Asia, we will see a re- regional hub. In Europe, we will see another. In the US, we will see another. and. This will happen because if we extrapolate it for the all um, uh, trade, we we can see that this will impose very high costs in terms of inflation because the the input costs will increase. And there, in, in if, if we consider that we are recovering from a, a, a crisis, this w- would not be feasible to do. So I don't believe that we we will go back, but I do believe that um, some things will change. And just to finish my intervention, I think that. There there will be industries that will be very benefited from this. One of them would be the 3D printing. I I think that this is an alternative, a very valid alternative to to try to deal with this problem. Also uh, industrial automation will be another option to try to deal with the problem. And I think countries will have to find ways to try to To mix, not to be fully reliant on these global supply chains, but try to adjust to the new to the new uh, era, also including climate change and all the problems that it may may arise.
0: Okay, uh, thank you a lot for for your answer. Um, Now, Anna. Um, a bit in line with uh, what Martin was saying, right do you believe that uh this this event is a blackstone event, uh, or that due to the scale of international trading and due to the fast increase in the size of container ships, uh, the industry as a well whole should reassess regulation and risk management mm-hmm.
3: uh, I think my answer is straightforward, yes. Um, Although I can recognize that uh, AstraZeneca failed a lot in this whole process from the the phases in the creation of the vaccine uh, itself to the inability to supply the amounts agreed with, and all the issues we have talked about. I consider that this whole process uh, was quite uh, unfair for for the company. Uh, And I'll be focusing my point on uh, media because I think it has a lot of impact in all, 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 all people. Um, I'm not saying that that people don't have the right to have information, Uh, of course they have, and this is a a truly important matter, and uh, that is uh, directly related with all the individuals, but I think uh, the media uh, has to be more careful in transmitting the information, and only transmit things when really proved by the competent competent, competent, uh, authorities um because this is this is still a new thing this is a virus and people are scared and da- their rationality uh, is a little bit biased by fear uh, so they 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 are they have not been able to um to filter correctly the information and do um, cost and benefit analysis uh, in terms of the risks of the vaccine and its benefits. Uh, So I think the information should be more clearly uh, passed and uh, the consequences uh, more clearly explained in terms of health, Um, because uh, this is a a recent topic. People are afraid, people are scared and are not thinking uh, totally rationally about it. Um, So, for example, The pill uh, has a lot of uh, risks um, and people uh, take it a lot uh, because it is uh, is not recent, people aren't afraid of it, uh, so I think we need to really uh, think about it and the media should be more careful in transmitting um, information. not to mention that uh, there have been also other situations with uh, other vaccines and their name is not mentioned. And the the AstraZeneca name is always mentioned. Uh, and I think that's quite unfair for the company, the company itself. And because of all this uh, tension, uh, I think they will uh, certainly rethink their um, position in this market uh, because it's their credibility and their repetition that it's at stake uh, which as we all know matter a lot for the their economic performance and so i think they will uh they will certainly rethink that uh there is already news that they are uh, thinking about changing the name of the company um so um, yeah Uh, What they will do for sure, I don't know, but they will uh, rethink it.
0: In the last month, U.S.-Russia tensions have escalated after the following comment from President Biden.
3: I said, "Look in your eyes, and I don't think you have a soul."
0: Russia's President Vladimir Putin soon answered back. These comments came two weeks after Biden's administration imposed sanctions on Russia for the poisoning and imprisonment of Alexei Navalny. And while US intelligence investigates new alleged Russian misdeeds such as election interference and the SolarWinds Act. In that same week, the first in-person talks between top US and China officials since Joe Biden's inauguration took place with a similar tone of tension. So, Anna. Can uh, Biden's diplomatic policy be seen as uh, a moral dispute to maintain U.S. Germany, and thus trigger a new and strengthen uh, Russian-Chinese partnership?
3: I think we have to throw back in time to understand why it is quite obvious that Biden is uh, so committed to maintain U.S. hegemony and why does that represent a direct tension with uh, Russia? So we all know that these two superpowers differ a lot in their ideology since almost ever and that throughout decades they have been ideologically and geopolitically uh, struggling for global uh, influence. The Cold War is just a great example of when the tension got really serious. So this to say that the tension has always been there for many reasons from their... um, different ideologies to their both ambition to have a clear uh, influence uh, on uh, the global world. The thing is that this tension gets more serious, for example, when conflicts within other countries are involved, just as the um, Ukrainian example and the Syrian one, uh, where um, both countries uh, tend to defend uh, opposite sides and so go on opposite directions. Also, when they see uh, their military power uh, threatened uh, by one another, this this can be also a great source of uh, tension between them. Nowadays, with the election of US President uh, Joe Biden, um, a new uh, increase in this tension uh, has risen, uh, as he has already declared that he will not hesitate and um, to take action and so raise costs on what he considers to be aggressive actions uh, from russia uh, just as the interferation in the u.s elections and the cyber attacks that he considered to be with the intention to disrupt democracy and he made all of these declarations in a speech that calls a lot for his ambition to put america first Uh, and making a lot of use of diplomacy as US uh, foreign uh, policy. Furthermore, more recently, um, reports of uh, Russian troops massing uh, near the Ukrainian border and in Crimea were considered credible by US, letting some of them require explanations uh, from uh, Russia as they, along with uh, NATO, Support uh, a lot the terri- t- territorial um, integrity of uh, Ukrainian. Not to mention the offenses expressed uh, and exchanged between uh, the two leaders of these two countries, with Biden calling Putin a murderer and obviously Putin retailing back. Um, not to forget that Biden is also very committed. Uh, in strengthen the uh, strengthened the alliances that uh, Biden has weakened, uh, and for that he has already, uh, for example, uh, rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement and reengaged with the World Health Organization. Um, however, in an opposite side, in what comes to China, uh, he has already made very clear that um, U.S. will actually confront. Uh, the what he considers to be economic abuses and attacks on uh, human rights, uh, intellectual property and global governance from China. Um, so I think we can see that U.S President is clearly making serious positions uh, about his two main rival, against his two main rivals uh, in what comes to international trade and military uh, matters, uh, China and Russia. Uh, So that America can stand out, Uh, which seems to me that we may be approaching a bipolar world again with um, Russia and China in uh, one side uh, and their alliances and uh, America um, in the other side uh, with its alliances. Uh, the one thing that I'm sure about regarding uh, all this tension is that we aren't going to have a nuclear war because of the mutual destruction hypothesis that we all know about. However, um, this clear and clear separation can still become very prejudicial uh, to the whole world, as these two superpowers um, have a great influence on other countries, and so the sanctions uh, applied between them. And their attempts to prevail um, can really hurt the economies and the stability of the countries caught up in the middle. Um, and I think the last thing that we need now uh, is another conflict, another crisis that this time uh, we can control because the pandemic we couldn't. So, uh, answering straightforward to the question, I think it's quite prob- probable that China and Russia. Uh, will strengthen their relations so that they can uh, better deal with uh, sanctions threatened by America to both of these countries.
0: So thank you all for, for watching. Also thank you uh, to, to our amazing guests that we are here today. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and to uh, subscribe our YouTube channel as Nova Economics Club and uh, follow the podcast Connected on Spotify and see you next month. Stay connected.